The following sermon is from Lifeway Church of Billings. Continuing our study of 1 Corinthians with a sermon entitled, Laying Down the Right to Money, is Pastor Stacy Gaylord. Good morning. Let me have you find uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're working our way through this letter. And what you've heard so far is songs praising God in part for the gospel, for who he is and what he's done uh, for us through Jesus. So they're songs extolling God for who he is. And then Greg did a great job of, uh, in, in a short little explanation of saying this is the gospel. God addressing fallen man through Christ, respond to him in repentance and faith. And so, and then uh, communion, the Lord's Supper being a picture of that, that. That Jesus is our sustenance, Jesus is our hope, Jesus is our fellowship. And what we do as God's people, week in and week out, is we go to a passage like this, 1 Corinthians 9, and we say God makes himself known to us through his word. God reveals himself. We get to know the, the thoughts and mind and reasoning of God and who he is and how we can have a relationship with him and how he's called us to live. So, you know, I say this all the time, but my job is actually pretty simple in this sense. What I really need to do is be faithful to open up God's word, explain it, and then so that we as God's people can submit ourselves to it and apply it. Two tasks of a preacher. Right? Uh, understand and apply, explain and exhort. So that's what we're going to do again and again, and we're going to do it this morning. Now, here's what we're talking about. This morning we're talking about money. Maybe your money, what we might be talking about. And let me start this way with the uh, kind of the thesis, the big idea of what we're going to find here. Money is good for a lot of things, but it makes... For an awful everything. Okay, money's not bad. As a matter of fact, if you live in our in our time and place and that sort of thing, you're going to have to deal with money and be adept at it, um, or really struggle through the consequences of it. But money is good for a lot of things, but it's an awful everything. Okay, if if you have that in your mind, it's gonna it's gonna frame really well how we need to navigate the passage we're gonna be in. Money's good for a lot of things. It makes for an awful everything. So the temptation, the reason I say that is the temptation for us is almost always to rank money too high. Is to put it way above its station where it should be. Now, how do you know if you're doing that? So we haven't even gotten to the text, and I'm giving you a little bit of a test where you might be able to apply it. How do you know if you're somebody who's putting money a little bit too high? Well, ask yourself... Where am I putting it? Because it, you're going to put your money to the things you value. It's a, money's a value currency, right? So you're going to put it to the things that are important to you. Where are you putting it? It'll show you what's important to you, and then you get to ask the question, is that really important? Maybe it's important to me, but it's not a, a great idea. And so what Paul is doing in this passage is actually is he's putting himself out there as an example, He's, he's doing that in this greater flow of uh, an argument that he's been making. They've got a specific context with meat sacrificed to idols. Do you eat it? Do you not? 
Um, what if you're a stronger brother, a weaker brother, something like that? And what he says is there are times in your life that you might have the right to do something. You might have the freedom to do something. It's, it's yours. You can do it. But you ought to lay that down for love. If it hurts somebody else, that's his, that's his encouragement to them. There may be something that is right. It's, it's a right for you to do. It's a liberty. But you might need to lay that down so another brother or sister, another friend will be okay. And in this context, he's using himself as an example and, and how he lays down a right of his own. And it's this. Paul is talking to them and he says, there's, there's me. I was, I was your founding apostle, he says. And there's you and I never asked you to pay me. I had the right to do that, but I never, I, I never exercised that right. I never came to you with that right. And so he's using that as an example. So we'll keep that in context, but what we need to do as we go through it is look at that specific thing and go, where are we at with money? Where am I at with money? And how, what, is, what is the way I use money, what does that say about me? And is that who I want to be? So let's look at the passage. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to be looking at 1 through 18. So we're going to, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go text, insight to action, right? Understand and apply. We're going to, we're going to do our best to understand what, what God says here. And then we're going to try to learn from it some, uh, some insight and then put it into action. So this is God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. 
Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is God's word. Let me pray. God, we thank you that, um, that you make yourself known to us. And we pray just as we've spoken already that while we know in our minds that you are worthy of celebration, that you've done great things, we also know that we tend to get distracted from those and our value systems tend to get flipped upside down. We tend to, we tend to think about what we can see and touch. We tend, to, we tend to start with ourselves and then work out from there. And so we pray that simply your word would connect to your people by the power of your spirit because you have a great heart for us. So to that end, make us better, make us better for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we said we'll go text, inside application. Here's the text, and it's really this. The, the default, you, if you could follow that, that length of a passage, Paul's not getting paid, and he wasn't back when he planted the church there in Corinth. So he didn't get any financial support from him. You know some of the story with Paul, he, this tended to be his pattern. It's not like he never received support from any group or anything like that, but he tended to go into a place and, uh, and work there for a living because he didn't have the support there locally. But even after he would plant a church, he wouldn't be there very long. And it seemed like they never entered into that financial arrangement unless there were some later. But Corinth was one of those. It seems like it wasn't until late, late, late into his ministry that that, that ever came up as something. So, so why? So this is what Paul is telling them in the context of laying down your rights. Number one, and you'll, you'll see this in your handout, Paul has the right to get paid for his ministry. Now, he's, he's not complaining, but he's going to make that case very simply. It's, it's an easy case to make. And so it's really one extended argument, but I'm going to break it down into four parts just so we can see it well. But he's saying, hey, you've never had to do this. You've never had to cut me a check. But I had the right to come to you and say, we need to start entering into that kind of relationship. So here's what he says. He says, verses 4 and 5, other apostles get paid for their gospel work. Right? They, they can, he says, don't we have a right to eat and drink? Um, and even to support a family, right there where he talks about bringing along a believing wife, but he compares himself uh, to others. He says in verse 5, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. In other words, all these other apostles get support. Um, the, the, the brothers of Jesus were a big deal in the early church. They get support by the church. And Peter, you know, also known as Cephas, does. And yet, here we do the work, but we do this work outside of ministry. If they're supported by the work and we're also apostles, we could assert that right to be paid just like the other guys. We share the same status with them. Okay, We're apostles. Apostles tend to get paid. Then look at verse 7. He uses analogy, common sense, argument, common ethics, whatever you want to call it. But he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? And, uh, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? I mean, the, the notion, all of those are a little bit different. But you, you don't plant just going, let's see what happens. Most, 
I'm not saying there's never a science experiment with botany or anything like that, but typically somebody who cultivates a field or a vineyard or something like that, they're earning a living. And what they're doing is they're planting that there for a, a, a fruit, for a reward that they get, but they can also make money from and they can eat of his fruit. Same with a flock. You might even think in terms of a soldier. How good is a soldier going to be if he has to support himself? If he's entirely financing the operation. Okay, so we live in the U.S. The U.S. does have some uh, threats. There's debate about, you know, um, you know, is the Cold War back? Is there a new Cold War? Is it, you know, is it, it's always been Russia? Is it still Russia? Is it China? Is it somebody in the Middle East, some group that's coming up? On and on and on. But most people would say there are those nation states, there are those interest groups, different things like that, that want to do us harm and want to undermine us. We need a military. How safe do you think we would be if every soldier in the United States military financed himself? Right? I mean, maybe... You know, he could drive across the country because he's got a, a car. Or maybe, you know, he'd, some old shotgun his grandpa gave him, he might be able to use that. But we, we, let's say we would be less prepared if he's got to uh, pay for his own training, if he's got to pay for his own stuff and that sort of thing. And Paul's, Paul's making a common sense argument here. Look, if you're going to have a good soldier who's prepared to fight, you've got to pay the guy so that he can be equipped and resource to do what needs to be done. It's the same with ministry, right? If you want this guy, this guy in ministry to be as free as possible, and he also ought to get some reward for the work. So he uses those three. His, the, the biggest part of his argument where he says, look, I've got the right to do this, is he talks in verses 8 through 13 about the pattern of the Old Testament law, and he says that pattern was really set there for us. So in verse 8, you see that? Do I say these things on human authority? Now, this is really important. In other words, Paul is saying, am I just making some argument that makes sense? It does. It makes sense. It's logical. That was verse 7. He says, it's not just that. It's actually more. Doesn't, he says in verse 8, doesn't God's law say the same? And so he points to this. Um, he, he quotes this a couple of times in letters of his. Deuteronomy 25.4. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Sometimes we look back at Old Testament law and we go, well, that's weird. Right? So you could take it on a couple of levels. Look, it's, it's, it's actually immoral to mistreat animals. Okay? It's also a bad strategy if you're relying on an animal to earn your living. It's bad strategy. Uh, uh, a weak ox make for weak work that will bring a weak return. Reward and sustain the work. God cares about sparrows. He cares about animals. But his point here is, is it really, is it really some cattle? Is it really some mules or whatever that God has mostly cared about? And he says, no. He says, um, look at verse 10. Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake. Now, why is that? He's saying, look, if, if you can see these examples where there's temporal work, right, just right now kind of work, and somebody deserves a return from that work, how much more, if you've got something on an eternal scope, does somebody who invests himself in that 
so that he can be undistracted, the value of the work and all that deserves some kind of a return and support on that. And then finally, in verse 13, he points out how even in the Old Testament, priests who served in the temple partook of the sacrifices. They, they, they were supported by that. And he says, this whole pattern was for our guide. But, so I've given you three things, right? Where he, he says, look, the other apostles, this is the pattern with them. Here's common sense ethics. Here's the Old Testament pattern that was really written there for our sake. But he gives a final, a fourth and final part of his argument is in verse 14, and this is the big one. In the same way, he means consistent with everything I've already argued for. The Lord, speaking of Jesus there, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Jesus said, for example, Matthew 10.10, the laborer deserves his food. If you take everything else and all we had was this, that's enough. Right? If the Lord Jesus speaks and he says, look, this is my church, these are my laborers, and you ought to support those who labor in the work of ministry, then that, that ought to be what we would do. Okay? So this is part of what Paul is saying is, don't you see, this is really the default. It's, it's why those other apostles get paid. It's, it's, it's why I get paid. It's why it's a good idea. Gospel work is important, it's valuable, and it's time-consuming, and we ought to want to support it, including financially, so that the laborers who are gifted to do it are as freed up to do this very important work as they can possibly be. Now, obviously, we've got sometimes limits on resources and different things like that, but the commitment there is to say we want as open a lane for those the Lord Jesus has put in place to do this gospel work as they can be. We don't want them distracted. We don't want them burdened. We want to free them up to do this. And he goes, this is the default, and yet I don't get paid. I could, but I don't. And the question comes, why not? Now, Paul, you know, while we're still in the text, Paul is giving, he'll give two basic reasons. They're complementary but if he can be, and this is everybody ought to understand this, why wouldn't he be? And so uh, let me nutshell it for you, and then we'll work it out in the text. Okay. Paul basically says there, there are values important enough that move me to lay down this right. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about is there something you value enough that you would lay down the right to get paid? Is there something you would value enough that you would put what otherwise might be your security away and put something in front of that? You see what he's doing? He's inconveniencing himself greatly. Is there anything in the sphere of money that's important enough to you that you would do without it? Not, I don't mean that you would exchange money for what you want. You do that anyway whether it's security or it's a new car. What I mean, is there anything that's important enough to you that you would say, oh, I'll actually, my life's going to be less convenient. My life's going to be less luxurious because I'm going to lay this down, you know, for love. Is there anything like that for you? Paul's nutshell argument is this. It's the two greatest commandments. Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, let me give you two. They complement each other. So, you know, the nutshell version of it, right? What are the two most important things you can do? Love God and love your neighbor. 
And, it, and, and those two things go together in part because your neighbor's made in the image of God. So First John, John would, the apostle John will work it out and say, oh, you can't love your brother? How do you love God? If your brother's made in the image of God, how is it that you miss that in your neighbor, as complicated as he or she might be? Love God and love your neighbor. And what Paul is saying is, look, those are the two greatest commands. Those are the two most important things that you do every day is to love God and love your neighbor. And that's why he's doing what he's doing. But how does he work it out in the text? Here's the, let's start with the neighbor part. And we'll call, it, we'll call it blocking and boasting. These are the two reasons, blocking and boasting. Blocking. He says, look, I'm laying down the right to get paid because I don't want it to interfere with anything. I don't want anything to trip somebody on their way to believe. Right? I'm committed to making sure that my life on, on all across the board will not be an impediment an obstacle to another person's belief in Jesus. That's loving your neighbor. Loving them enough that you'll do without a particular right. I'm free to do whatever, but I'm going to lay it down for love. Right Now, we might ask in their particular context, why would this be effective? Why is it that he might lay down this right and that, that make a statement or help or hurt? Now, what we might say is, well, Paul's doing this. He's not getting paid by them because otherwise the criticism would be, oh, well, he's only in it for the money. Now, lest we think that's ludicrous, we see that all the time, right? I, I can remember uh, back as it seems like uh, it was more common back then. They were more commonly known. But when I was in high school and college and I lived in the Bible Belt and there were these guys with big hair and they would make big claims about God and, and it seemed like it was always connected to your faith, which was always exercised in sending them money. So if you sent them money, God did really good things for you. Now, maybe I was 17, but I can smell greed. I can smell selfishness. I, and, and, you know, you, it doesn't take much. They're preying on desperate people who, who need God to do something great for them, and they, they think it's financially. And so what they're really doing is they're manipulating and taking advantage of some very weak people. There are guys who enter into the ministry, and they just want it. That's, that's their lane to exploit it so that they can get money, prestige, whatever. Those are the kind of people that whenever you see that, you got to run from them. Or if, if they're in the church, you've got to take care of that. You've got to rebuke it, okay? That's probably, as common as that can be, that's probably not what Paul is doing here. Most likely, and remember, they live in a completely different setting than we do. This is, this is Greek, Roman culture, right? And uh, very common relationships were the, 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 the patron-client so-called client relationship, where somebody was a patron, they, they, were, they essentially sponsored somebody or they, they financed their operations. So if you're a wealthy person, a patron, you might have somebody and you would pay them to be an educator. You might pay them to do art, sculptures, different things like that, or to be a poet, anything like that. Sometimes it was philosophy. Those kinds of relationships were ubiquitous, uh, 
Big dumb word. They, they were really common. Those kind of relationships were all over the place. So everybody knew it. There's, it was like, like we take for granted that there are roads and cars and houses and stuff like that. Those kind of patron relationships and that you can work in a line of, of industry, you can work in a business. Those kind of relationships were all over the place because they didn't have these individual businesses where people were employed. There was a lot of money at the top and a lot of times people entered into these kind of relationships where they could get support to do what they were good at. Paul knew that. So it's very likely that what Paul was avoiding here was if I come in and you're paying me, I'm obligated to you to give the results that you want, that you prefer, and I can't do that. There's a higher authority than my, somebody who might see himself or herself as my patron. This is actually the Lord Jesus, and I represent the Lord Jesus, and that's got to be clear so that the gospel can be clear. My, that's what I think he's doing here. I think the reason he's laying it down and saying in verse 12, I don't want anything to be an impediment. I want to make sure I don't put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. He's saying in your context, when you pay somebody, you start to expect that you can boss them around. Now, if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church, you know how this works. Okay? If you didn't, well, God showed you some mercy. Okay? But the idea that we pay that guy so he needs to talk about sins we don't struggle with and ignore the ones we do. Okay? He needs to have his politics right or whatever. I think in practical terms, verse 12, we haven't made use of this right. Why? We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. What you have to have is the gospel. And this could make it super cloudy for you, so we're going to avoid it. So here's the question, what about you? Where maybe you're free, but what about you? Where you're free to do something, but love is bigger to you than your freedom. He doesn't want to block anybody. He doesn't want to do anything that will undercut them and trip them up. Is there anything like that for you that your money is less important than the person? I don't mean for you. I don't mean like taking care of your kids and that sort of thing. Look, you do that for them, but let's be real. You do that for you. All right. What's the second reason? So there's blocking. He doesn't want to be an impediment. But number two, boasting. This is an argument in verses 15 through 18. He essentially says, look, and this is the loving God part. I don't want to get paid because not getting paid is my quote-unquote boast. It's something I prize, even with his life. And we might think that's overstatement, but if you look at his line of, of thinking, it's not. So what do we see here? This is your handout. Paul is zealous for the opportunity to make a worthy offering to the Lord that is motivated, not by compulsion, but simply by his choice because he loves the Lord. This boasting. Now, what, now what does he mean by that? Now, there are a lot of words that have kind of a double meaning or they can be used in different senses right so that depending on the context you might say that's a bad thing or a good thing normally whenever we use the word boasting we think it's a bad thing but I want you to think about so here's a similar word judge is there a way that you could say look you shouldn't judge that's a bad thing yeah yeah you shouldn't judge your neighbor Right? Put yourself in the place of God where you condemn him for all of his stuff. That's not your role. That's not your place. That kind of judging is a bad thing. But if, if you, uh, you know, or grew up in an ag school and you were in FFA, because I know that's the bulk of you, 
and uh, you were you were in a in a competition, and the deal was you were assessing dairy cattle, and you judged them. Is that bad? No, that's just that's a statement of what you're doing. You're evaluating it. You're making an assessment of it. So the word boasting is like that. There's a context for it, which is really bad. It's bragging about myself, making too much of myself. It's putting myself in the place of God. That kind of boasting where I look at God's seat and I say, hey, I think you really ought to move over because that's my chair. That's a bad boasting. There is another kind of boasting, though, that we might think is like, there, like there's a kind of pride that's a good, healthy pride. There is a kind of boasting this is actually the celebration or the satisfaction of something. When he says, not getting paid is my boast, it looks like what he really means here is, I take an immense amount of personal satisfaction from that. I have a reward in that that I really cherish. Now, why? What's he saying? Why does he explain it that way? Look at, and it's probably worth the time for us to uh, look at verses 15 through 18. He says in verse 15, I'm not, I said I don't get paid even though I have a right to. I'm not trying to get paid now. Look at verse 16, though. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will. I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward that in my preaching I may preach the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? Now, how do you nutshell that? Look, the Lord called me to preach. I have to preach. That's my job. Even if I want to do it, even if I love it, I'm a steward of that, and that's my duty. Okay, Even if I love it, even if I'm all in, I, I preach, and that's simply doing my duty. But I don't have to do it and get paid. So if I lay that down, I can actually preach the gospel, not assert that right. And that's like an offering I make to the Lord just because I love him. I take an immense amount of personal satisfaction in serving the Lord Jesus, not because he called me and, I, and that's my duty. There is that but because I believe in him, and I'm loyal to him, and I love him, and he has my heart. I, I, I long for this thing that I could say, see, I didn't have to do this. I, I gave up my right so that I could honor you because I think you're worthy. The reason Paul chooses not to get paid is because he doesn't want to prevent anybody else from coming to the gospel. He doesn't want to get their social, cultural uh, relationships mixed up. He wants the gospel to be clear. If somebody rejects the gospel, he wants them to do that without any kind of impediment but the message itself. He doesn't want to block anybody. Number two, he wants a holy ground for boasting. I love the Lord Jesus. I'm loyal to him, and this is something that I can lay at his feet. Say, so see, I loved you, I followed you, I gave you everything I have. I, made, I didn't make use of all these rights because you're worthy. So, text, insight, action. Oh, what do we make of this? As Paul is an example. What, what's the insight that we can draw from that? So let's go mind and then try to push a little bit to work it out into practice. The insight is this. As a principle, money is a good, but be warned. A lot of things in life like this. Right? It's, uh, 
Everything that has some kind of currency or value in a fallen world is like that. It's a good, but it's got some dangers to it. Lots and lots of things are like this. Work is good, but with dangers. Sex is good, but with dangers. All kinds of things like that. Money is like that. Money is a good, but be warned. So take driving a car, something that we're doing in our home now with uh, learning to drive and different things like that. Sometimes you have to wait. It's a maturity issue. We say as a society, different states, you've got to be a certain age before you can drive. Uh, Like you can't be four. Like, oh, I have a really precocious four-year-old, and he's really good at Mario Kart. Think he can drive. We don't do that. We just, like, standardize. You've got to be at a certain age before you can drive. Is that arbitrary? Sure, for our sake right? Lest we all die. And you've got to meet certain physical standards. Like you, you have to pass an eye test, for example. There's nothing wrong with not being able to pass that eye test, but driving is a, is a visual activity in part. So you've got to be able to see. And then uh, you need to be tested. Somebody might have all the credentials otherwise, but if they don't know the rules of the road, you know, who knows? They might be parking in your living room, uh, something like that. Uh, they might be driving in the wrong lane, All of that is good. All those standards are good. It's perfectly reasonable. And here's why. Because a a, a car, it's good to have, but it's powerful. And if it's not used well, it's deadly. It's a good, but be warned. Money is like that. It's a good, but be warned. For example, Proverbs talks about this a lot. It says money can be the natural result of good work. It can be the Lord's blessing. But here's some warnings. Ecclesiastes 5.10, if it's this ultimate thing for you, it's never going to satisfy you. It's going to leave you empty. Uh, It can make you proud. It can make you something that you're not, something that God doesn't think you are. 1 Timothy 6. It has no value. It doesn't spend when you face the Lord at the end. And every one of us will face the Lord at the end. And it really doesn't matter how much money you have then. In other words, it's it's like milk. Your money is like that. It's got an expiration date on it. And uh, you're not going to want to drink it after a certain amount of time. Right? So be warned. So here's the second part of it. If money is a good but be warned, here's why. Money makes for bad treasure and it can keep you from pursuing good treasure. In other words, it's, it's good for a lot of things, but it's an awful everything. Right? If you rank it too high, you're going to spend yourself on this lesser thing and miss the greater thing. That's where you've got to watch it. So what about action? If that's the insight to go, no, this is a good, this is fine. Maybe the Lord's blessed you a ton, maybe not so much. But money isn't everything. What do you do? Let me give you something kind of positive and negative. Something to tear down and something to build up. Here's action. Something to tear down and something to build up. What do we, what do we need to tear down? Probably every one of us. It's money as an idol. Uh, uh, Money as this object of worship. Jesus, no less an authority than Jesus said this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. What he says is, look, if what's rivaling for your heart is the Lord Jesus God and money, you can't serve them both. It can't be done. There's an impossibility to that. 
If money's too important, what he's saying, I get the implication, if you can't serve both, if money's too important to you, it's going to take you away from God. You can only serve the one. Here's where we mess up money. You know this? We mess up money, but we don't think about it enough. When it becomes our security, you go, oh, I need to stockpile it. If, I, if, if my money's not safe, I'm not, if it's not lined out, I'm not safe. Because what about tomorrow? It becomes our status. You, you ought to respect me. You ought to think I'm somebody important because I've got a little bit of money. It becomes, now listen to me, because you don't have to have much for it to be this. It becomes a key to idolatry. It becomes the power, that key that opens up the door to all those lesser gods. Right? Those things that we seek that we want to put in the place of God. So we might say, well, money is not what we put there. Oh, yeah, you do. Because you put it there so you can access the things that you put in the place of God. That's where we mess it up. Security status and as a key to idolatry. So um, let me, just as an aside, because it looks like we've got tons of time left. What, what if you say, well, look, I'm, I'm really different. Here's a person who's really materialistic. They use money to get, get, get. And I'm somebody, I'm a security person. I get my money and I sock it away and I'm smart with it. And I put it away, put it away, put it away. Um, we have a completely different view of money. It's like, not if you do that out of fear. No, you don't. You have exactly the same view. You're, you're both. Actually, the, the security, anxiety-ridden person is actually a materialist. You're just applying it different ways. The one that you see as a materialist is going after their stuff. You're hoarding yourself, you're hoarding your money so that you can protect yourself against the elements, but it's all about right now. There's no investment in the, in the future for you. So why do you need to break it down? Why is it something to tear down? What's the, it's the reason that you tear down any idol. It's because it gets in the way. Right? It keeps you from loving God and loving others. That's the test. If, if your money keeps you from loving God and loving others, it's in the way. It's an idol. It's an object or an avenue of worship. That's a great little way to assess it. Where I put it, does it get in the way of that? Something to tear down. Is there an area like that for you? Something to build up. Money is a stewardship. Right? Something that God has blessed you with. Proverbs says the Lord blesses uh, you with money. If it's a tool, though, what do I use it for? And let me give you three categories. I think they're in the handout that you can think of. Really, yourself, others, and, uh, and God. But taking care of yourself, loving other people, and worshiping God. Those three categories. So why, why yourself? Why is that a good thing? Look, if you're constantly, if you don't have the ability to live like a pauper, then sooner or later you're going to be asking other people for help. And the more you live on the, on the ragged edge, like if, like if you're in a ton of debt and you're generously, quote-unquote generously, giving away your paycheck all the time, like I love your heart, but sooner or later you're going to become a burden to others, and the burden you are to others is going to outweigh your generosity. Does that make sense? On a, on a basic level, it's a great idea for you to take care of yourself so that you're in a position to take care of others. And if the Lord has given you that ability, make sure you do that. So for some of you, money is a stewardship. Like if you are to walk away with the most spiritual thing that you could do today, you'd go, you know what I need to do? I need a budget. I need to start addressing my debt instead of increasing it. I need to stop taking out loans to do uh, all these unnecessary things. Not allowing money to be an idol isn't a cover for being careless. 
You need to take responsibility for your life as the Lord has given you means. Number two is loving others. What are ways that you can be generous to help others outside of your immediate family? It's, you need to do that. That's, um, that's, the, that's that first level. But are there ways that you can see somebody else and love them by showing generosity? And finally, worshiping God. Just You give because you love God. You give because you value his work and want to see it done. Occasionally, somebody will say to me, well, how much do I have to give? Like, dude, I'm not Jesus. You don't have to give anything. Like, well, what, what ought I, I mean, you know, like if the, if the Lord's like, no, that's not enough. You ought to give more. What should that be for me? Listen, if you don't want to give, and I want you to hear me really clearly on this. If you don't want to give, I don't, my treasure, our treasure is going to freak out here. If you don't want to give, I don't want you to give. If you go like, I'll give, but whatever, I don't think I should have to, man, just, I don't care, keep it, right? I just, like, the Lord doesn't, the Lord's not hanging back there going, oh, man, if this grumbler only gave a little bit, then we would be set, okay? Don't need your money that way. Just don't. And if, but here's the thing. If your money goes to what you care about, what you think is true and important and valuable, why wouldn't you want to give? Like, if you, if you see what we do here as the living God is in our midst and we come to him by faith, rejecting all the idols of the world, coming to him by faith because of this great act of the Lord Jesus, and this is what we're doing, we're communing with the living God together, and that the people we were made for God and the people in the world need to know him, and you think that's true, there's like a logic gap there for me. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to give to that. Because that would be so important to you. Like, look, I, uh, you know, I'll go to a baseball game because I like baseball. That's important to me. But if I'll do that, what about, what about the Lord's work? Do you see what I'm saying? I don't, in that sense, we don't track all that stuff. We don't care. But that doesn't mean we don't think it's serious. Like, like we care in this sense. To walk with Jesus is for your whole life if you were bought by him, and your whole life belongs to him, is to say that everything I do is an expression of stewardship and love and worship, love of God and love of neighbor. And that includes your money. And your money is so great about that because your money is about what you think is important. So if you go, I've got money, but I'm not, I'm not giving it, your, your want to is messed up is all I'm suggesting. Right? Because you'll put it to, to the things that you think are important to you. All right, enough of that. Let's end where we began. Oh, by the way, I should say I just caught the eye of my treasurer. I should say the corollary to that, the counterpart to that. If you value the Lord, right, and what he's doing in the, in the world, what would you tend to do? What's the natural overflow of that? It's just going to be generosity, right? Is that good? All right, there we go. <laughs> so let me, let me end with uh, where we began. Money is good for a lot of things, but it's an awful everything. And the way you can, it can be a cover for, oh, it's not my everything, is if you use it for a, as a key to all these, all these little idols. It's, it's a good, but it's an awful everything. What is your everything? That's where we go back to Christ. We got, look, here's, 
Here's what Jesus did for you. You were dead if you're a believer. And if you're not, this is why we bid you come to him. If you're dead, spiritually dead, forever dead, Jesus gives life through his resurrection. If you're a sinner, you're condemned, and we all are sinners. We've all done the wrong thing. We've, we've walked away from God. We've betrayed each other even. We've betrayed ourselves. If you've got a record of debt like that, that sin, Jesus forgives it. Clean slate. So you go from death to life. You go from slavery to freedom. You go from sin to forgiveness. You go from a lack of identity. Who am I in the world? That's because you were made for God. And Jesus brings you to the living God to walk in fellowship with him so that you can know him. And worship, Jesus constantly does this. He shows these little idols that we make such big things, things like money. And he shows how empty they are as an end in themselves. And he brings you to God. That's why we always come back to the gospel. So you look at something like money and you go, is that an important thing? Yeah, it's a really important thing. It's just, it just always needs to be put, set against Jesus and his lordship and his reign and his goodness. And to go, whatever that reign, power, goodness you can get from money, it's got an expiration date on it. And so we, we call you to come to the Lord Jesus. If you know Jesus, we call you to remember. Like you can worship lesser things and they'll leave you empty. But you only find life and freedom and identity in the Lord Jesus. So believe in him, the one who laid down his life for you. Let's pray. God, thanks for your work. Thank you for the blessing of money and the opportunity to use it as stewards who, yes, take care of ourselves. Yes, enjoy the good fruits, the things in life that you give, like the, like the taste of dessert or a vacation or whatever. But we also thank you for the opportunity to love the people around us, to worship you. We, we give, we make an offering because we we believe in you. We believe in what you do through the gospel, and we want to see that done here and uh, with our neighbors and around the world. And so we pray that you'd bless the offering that we take up in a moment. May it be for your glory. May you make productive use of it. And we also pray, according to Paul's example here, that we wouldn't have anything in our lives, whether it's money or anything else, that's so important. We would walk away from you and walk away from people we ought to be loving. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding has been a teaching of LifeWay Church of Billings. 